Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.23 a.m. on the 11th of March, 2020. This is episode 214 of Bitcoin and I'm sick. I got the Corona, bro. No, hell no. I don't know if I got the Corona. I don't know how the hell it would have gotten here anyway, man. I live out in the middle of BFE. You know what this is? Allergies and a cold. <laughs> that, that, that's what it is. That's why I'm not freaking out. But <clears throat> it doesn't mean that I don't feel any less like shit. I feel a little crappy. So just be aware that my throat's going to be kind of scratchy for the balance of this episode. Um, let's get into something that I thought was really interesting. I did not expect this. So everybody buckle in, but don't get your hopes up immediately. But bottle pay seems to be back. Caveat. Nah, you're, you're not going to be able to open up your bottle pay thing, you know, app right now and, and resume business as usual. Um, what am I talking about? Well, this morning I was, you know, setting up the show and I ran across this tweet from bottle pay i hadn't seen them tweet since they shut down if you're wondering what i'm talking about bottle pay used to be uh was pretty uh active last year and then they had to shut down because this whole amld5 uh crap for the uk and eu and all that kind of stuff uh, so they shut it down, and it was a really great app. It was so fun to use to tip people or just send them money. If you know, or you could do you could do any like a whole bunch of stuff with it, and it was really slick. It was a simple UI. It was my one of my all time favorite Bitcoin apps. <clears throat> yeah, but they had to shut it down. So imagine my surprise when this morning I see BottlePay uh, tweeting this out. Any kick-ass Golang devs out in the community that are super passionate about Bitcoin and writing solid code? We have a, I don't know what FT means, but an FT slash remote position would love to hear from you. So I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Did they get resurrected? Well, BottlePay kind of answered me and said, we've been busy behind the scenes prepping a version 2.0. Uh, I asked him, I sent him a DM. I'm going to check to see. If, oh, they have gotten back. Let's see what if I, they say anything that I can say. Uh, okay, I, I, I asked him, I said, any details I can announce on the pod today? They've written back and it seems that here's what they say because they didn't say don't say shit. And I asked them directly if I could say it on the pod. So my assumption is I can say the following bottle pay wrote me back and said, Hey, thanks for getting in touch. We'll be coming back with a mobile app. More details of the beta will be coming soon. So guys, we may see a resurrection of the long lost bottle pay app. And I, for one, couldn't be more happy to see these guys come back into the fray. Uh, like, you know, like I said, one of my favorite apps of all time, yeah, I was very, very sad when they went away. So we shall see, shan't we? Let's get into another, the last bit of, is this going to be last community? Yeah. Last bit of community news, uh, Twitter account I hadn't seen before Bitcoin lessons underscore. Yep. That would be at Bitcoin lessons underscore all one word. So what the hell do they say? Well, this tweet says, so the Bitcoin Lessons app is finally live and ready for download for iOS and Android. Give us a try, bitcoinlessons.org, and tell your friends who are asking why Bitcoin. We have some answers. Free toilet roll for a five-star review. That's not true. Free sats only. <laughs> so, and then they have a thread, but I've decided to just go ahead 
and get to bitcoinlessons.org and I scan their page. Seems legit, uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and read to you their frequently asked questions because there's only like, you know, there's only a few of them. Is Bitcoin Lessons free? <clears throat> Bitcoin Lessons is free to download and there are there is loads of content to enjoy in this mode. However, there is a point where we ask you to upgrade to unlock the rest of the lessons. Depending on how much you pay, you'll get rewarded with free Bitcoin in the form of Satoshis that are totally yours. How long does it take to complete? Everyone learns at different speeds and Bitcoin Lessons is designed to suit your learning preferences. So pick it, pick it up for five minutes at a time or spend hours on it. We currently have 11 lessons and end to end, it should take around 25 to 30 hours to complete. So loads of con content to get stuck into. Is this just about Bitcoin? Thank God. Yes. And what more could you want? We know there is a whole cryptocurrency space that is spawned around Bitcoin, but for us, only the original Bitcoin matters. Very nicely said, people. For us, this is the Bitcoin that owns the BTC ticker, and that is what Bitcoin Lessons is all about. In our minds, the invention of the best form of money has ever invented is more than enough for us, and we want to be focused on delivering the content to you the best way we can. Can I earn real Bitcoin? Once you have upgraded to unlock all the lessons, you will earn coins as you progress through the app. The more you pay, when you upgrade, the more coins you'll receive in return. These coins can then be exchanged for Bitcoin when you contact us outside of the app. See here for more info. It sounds like it may be a regulatory workaround. We'll, we'll see how well that works. App Store rules stop us from giving you the Bitcoin directly. Believe us, we tried but had our app rejected until we changed our in-app currency to coins. We're very sorry about this and we'll look to automate this exchange as soon as we can. As the price of Bitcoin is variable, there is no set amount of coins slash Satoshis we will give you. It will all be calculated at the time that you choose to upgrade. What about the price of Bitcoin? <laughs> Isn't this the elephant in the room? We do touch on price, but we will be open and say we have no idea what the future price of Bitcoin will be. There are many metrics which can be studied that may give you and or give you an idea which will show you this is there's a this may be a translation from a different language that's what I'm getting out of this so be aware this may very well be uh, translated from God only knows what so we'll we'll have to find out more about this as we go but an idea which will show you, but no one truly knows what the price of Bitcoin will be in the future. What may, I like this one. What makes you an authority? Good question. And to be clear, we're not. And no one else is either. Good answer, people. Good answer. The content inside Bitcoin Lessons has been learnt firsthand over years of being in the Bitcoin space. Many podcasts, books, and videos of the great minds in Bitcoin have been distilled down into the content you'll see within Bitcoin Lessons. We even link you to our favorite content from around the web so you can listen, watch, and read it for yourself. So it's nice. I kind of I kind of dig this. <clears throat> uh, I I like this foray into the gamification of uh Bitcoin. Uh especially the learning stuff. Um I'm kind of really interested in how we're lever you know we can leverage bitcoin lightning network mobile apps <clears throat> against general uh traditional education i i've that's just something that i've always been interested in and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while i i still think that the, one of the best applications for doing that is video games but oh wait a minute we're about to get into video games so let's go ahead and let's just go ahead and finish this community news up and we'll get into that um, again, this is bitcoinlessons.org. Give them, you know, go to their website, bitcoinlessons.org uh, and see, you know, see what, what, what they have to offer. It may be something that you want to do, maybe something that you don't want to do, but, uh, it would be kind of interesting to at least show newbies. I, you know, it's, it's, it's just, any kind of education in this space is welcome that <laughs> I, I just getting 
all the, the history of this whole thing and a whole bunch of new people getting into the space and immediately getting ramped into the shitcoin casino is disheartening to say the least, but it is what it is, right? So uh, Ubisoft, Immutable and CCP reveal the future of crypto gaming. This is, let's see who's writing this thing. Looks like, actually, it actually looks like, oh, Andrew Hayward is writing this on March the 7th. So it's odd. I, I just saw this today, but it's pretty interesting. Uh, so let's get into this right now. It was just over two years ago that Dapper Labs CryptoKitties exploded onto the scene, bogging down the Ethereum network wall, <clears throat> showing the potential for blockchain-driven gaming. Since then, many video games and interactive experiences have integrated crypto and blockchain with more on the horizon. Still, it feels like the very early days for blockchain and gaming. While there are plenty of opportunities on the horizon and many interested parties working to bring those visions to life, there are also challenges and hurdles that can slow or even stifle the pace of innovation. What will be the blockchain game that breaks out into the mainstream and will there even be one? Decrypt interviewed a trio of game industry leaders to get their diverse takes on what's next. We spoke with a VP from the developer of Gods Unchained, one of the biggest blockchain games to date, and the leader of blockchain initiatives at Ubisoft, one of the largest video game publishers on the planet, we also spoke to a game studio CEO who, while he's personally immersed in the crypto space, has yet to integrate it in his flagship title, EVE Online. Oh, this is where they see blockchain gaming going in the future. <clears throat> Using non-fungible tokens. So right into shitcoinery, just from the get-go, from the freaking gate, shitcoins. So, ah. It's possible to create unique digital assets. That means it's possible to create in-game objects such as trading cards and digital skins. With a limited real-world supply, the technology famously underpinned the aforementioned CryptoKitties. The ability to own these unique, scarce digital assets has been one of the biggest selling points to date for blockchain games. That's likely to continue being a focus for the short term, but... As that core concept evolves and attaches to new types of games, we could see some truly consequential changes to interactive experiences. Quote, It's difficult to predict how the industry will evolve. Some of the most exciting opportunities will come from the bridge blockchain creates between virtual and real-world economies, said Tyler Perkins, VP of Marketing at Immutable, developer of collectible card battler Gods Unchained. Digital goods have always had strings attached and free market economies around these goods haven't been possible because centralized entities have always had the option to intervene. As we begin to decentralize, many of the instruments, markets, and tools that exist around physical commodities will actualize in the digital realm. Quote, as we begin to decentralize, oh, sorry, that, that messed me up. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that to you. Uh, Ubisoft is the publisher of an enormous game franchise such as Assassin's Creed and Just Dance, but even a company of that scale has been on the front line of blockchain innovation in recent years. Ubisoft's Entrepreneurs Lab Accelerator provides resources and workshops to startups without taking equity. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> this year it picked eight blockchain companies for the program. One of these startups, Planetarium, recently launched the public alpha of its blockchain-powered RPG 9 Chronicles. Ubisoft has also prototyped a Minecraft-esque game called Hashcraft and helped found the Blockchain Game Alliance alongside processor, manufacturer, AMD, and blockchain governance platform Maker. For Ubisoft, blockchain represents an opportunity to further empower players. Quote, over the long term, the free use of digital assets might create new forms of interactions between players, communities, and game developers, explains Nicholas Pouard. Ubisoft's blockchain initiative director, quote, to us at Ubisoft, we see it as a way to allow players to become stakeholders of the games they love at an unprecedented level, end quote. He points to fantasy soccer game Sorar as an example of a successful blockchain game today, and it's, in part, it's part of their Entrepreneurs Lab program. Enabling crypto startups today helps set Ubisoft up for the future, Pouard suggests. So, quote, 
Blockchain is part of the technologies that are bringing new value propositions to users in what we call the Internet of Assets. Sell, sell, sell! In the same way that the web is the technology allowing Wikipedia, social media, and e-commerce, blockchain is the piece of a much larger picture that is currently being built by a number of actors and pioneering entrepreneurs, says Pouard. The mindsets, cultures, and standards of this new paradigm are invented now. Ubisoft always had an open innovation mindset and a strong partnership approach. And, as with any new technology, we think that to make the most of it, it is all about collective effort, he adds. Empowering startups is the best way to support this effort while keeping the pace of innovation in order to be ready when the time comes. When it comes to challenges to widespread adoption of blockchain technology and games, we heard a common response. The difficulty of buying and interfacing with crypto. For seasoned decrypt readers, it may not seem difficult to set up a wallet and buy a little Bitcoin. But for many people, crypto remains a big question mark. What's the value? What's the point? Until there's a much wider understanding of what crypto is and how to manage and manipulate it, the potential audience for such games could be rather small. Quote, I think the great challenge is that the overall addressable market of something that would be involved in interfacing with blockchain or cryptocurrency would be very small, says Hilmar Vieger Petterson, CEO of EVE Online developer CCP Games. There's such a complexity barrier of interacting with it, and there's such a barrier of understanding and trusting what is really going on, that you ultimately end up with a niche of a niche. You end up with an intersection of people interested in games and interested in blockchain, and it's small. Vigor Peterson, Peterson, whatever. <laughs> oh, the coronavirus got me. He is personally invested in crypto and has experimented with blockchain technology in the past. However, CCP Games has yet to incorporate blockchain or crypto within EVE Online, a particularly hardcore, massively multiplayer online space simulation with complex in-game economy. While he believes that the technology could potentially help CCP deliver on its mission of making virtual worlds more meaningful than real life, oh, that scares the piss out of me, that should never occur, but continuing, he says that they haven't heard many complaints from EVE players about having a decentralized database, and lacking true ownership of assets. Quote, I think it's a little too early because most players of games don't really care so much about that, he adds. Okay, well, there's still too much friction for new users in understanding blockchain technology and how to interact with it, says Immutables Perkins. Simply acquiring crypto proves to be a complicated process for beginners, and it's often a high enough barrier for many to lose interest. We need to make the end-to-end -end process of interacting with digital assets so seamless that anybody can do it. I assume he's talking about grandma. Puard affirms that need for seamless blockchain interactions and says that the regulatory framework should mature enough in the meantime for such open asset economies to flourish. But in the short term, he says, it's really all about making games that people want to play. Quote, the main short-term challenge is simply to build good games for players and not only for speculators, says Pouard. It's important to find the right business model for a game, but it's not the business model that brings fun to the players. We believe that the creation of stablecoins will help a lot to leave the speculation behind us and focus on the true benefits of the tech for the players. When will blockchain gaming escape that so-called niche of a niche and become something that large numbers of players engage with? Will there be a tipping point? It's important to remember that blockchain is still in its early days and it might take a while before the benefits of the technology become tangible for our industry, says Pouard. Nonetheless, games like Sorar, Gods Unchained, or The Sandbox are proving that it is possible to offer rather similar experiences in terms of concepts to what larger game companies could do, which helps growing a player base that benefits from blockchain features beyond the niche market. Uh, Peterson suggests that it could be another five to 10 years before there's a true breakout blockchain game and that it may not be a game that is a huge hit upon release. It could be a slow burning success that eventually becomes a sensation. I'm not sure necessarily that it will be a tipping point, he says, but you could foresee a time where there's a killer app 
where you just really have to get involved regardless of whether you need to figure something out. And that pulls in a wave of people and kind of starts an avalanche. He points to the evolution of modern virtual reality, suggesting that lightsaber swinging rhythm game Beat Saber is arguably VR's killer app. Beat Saber has continually grown in visibility and popularity over the last couple of years, but it has been eight years since the first Oculus Rift ushered in this era of VR technology. Could crypto gaming have a similar trend line before there is a truly essential must-play game that appeals to a wider segment of the gaming audience? Maybe if we start the clock at CryptoKitties, maybe 10 years after CryptoKitties, you will be able to find something that is truly a killer app for crypto, says Peterson. Ultimately, as Ubisoft's Pouard points out, blockchain and crypto are tools that can drive new and enticing experiences, but they're not the experience itself. It's up to the developers to create brilliant games that use that technology to heighten and enhance that experience rather than focusing on the tech above all. Quote, it is difficult to foresee a specific tipping point. I think things will evolve gradually. We can assume that a huge IP using non-fungible tokens could potentially significantly increase the adoption. Yet in the end, blockchain is a technology that we, world creators, use to offer entertaining and memorable experiences to players. But what drives the industry is the success of amazing games. All right, so that's actually at least... Okay, they're getting into shit coinery. It's going to happen. I don't like it, but at least their heads are in the right place when it comes to games. What the things that I hate the most in video games is the application of some kick-ass technology that just foregoes the gaming experience. It's like screw you guys. God knows we we DX11 is out and we have to we just have to put in all of the shit and it looks pretty, but it's a crappy game. I've seen it on several occasions. I've also seen really simple games that leverage damn near no technology just as fun as can be. Because it's always got to be about the game, not whether or not it has an economy, not whether or not it looks pretty, not whether or not... it. There, there's a whole host of this shit. You could read tomes about gaming and like not even video games just any game a board game a card game hell there's all kinds of books on how to make this shit believe me i know i've seen them <laughs> i've got some that i that i have yet to re finish reading but be that as it may we can wish all damn day about lightning network being installed inside of our favorite game and what what can we do with that it's like, I don't know what you can do with it, but as long as it doesn't cause you to forego the gaming experience for the people who are, oh, I don't know, paying your bills, then you should be good. As long as it's not, I don't want to say that as long as, long as it's ancillary, because that's a shitty way to think about it too. However you think about it, as long as the gaming experience for the player is solid, then pretty much you'll figure out a way to put this stuff into your games. And does it need to go in the games? Eventually, yes. Because one of the things that pissed me, I'll give you one of the things that pissed me off, or not pissed me off, but one of the things that I always started thinking about whenever I was playing these games, because I was always drawn to the same kind of games, either massively multiplayer online, or some, or, or even if it wasn't online, some kind of, you know, role-playing based game that always had to deal with the same stuff, like strength, wisdom, intelligence, uh, charisma, these kinds of parameters that your character would either build up over time or start with, or but you know, in general, these parameters all came from the same place. Essentially, this all this shit came from Dungeons and Dragons. If you were alive back in the day, if you were like walking around and able to actually think uh, in the '70s, then you saw Dungeons and Dragons, and that was one of the either the first or one of the very first games that had this this thing about it where you had your character had a certain strength, and that caused that character to be able to do certain things or be unable to do certain things. And then you had level. 
And all the time that you're building these skills, if you went to another game, you pitched it all in the trash and started started anew. So when I first found out about Bitcoin and I first started thinking about this stuff, one of the very first things that I thought of, which was kind of stupid, but I still think about it every once in a while, is some kind of way to take all of my stats from a character in one game and be able to use it in multiple platforms. How to do that? Like, let's say that I import my character from game X into game Y and it completely trashes game Y because it's my strength somehow or another overpowered whatever was going on, like completely threw out of balance the game mechanics of, of game Y. So clearly this is not an easy situation. But if there was a way that you could like, okay, well, we'll let you, like I'm a game maker and here's my game Y and yes, I'll let you import your shit because it has the, I don't know, the codified statistics rap sheet. Let's say that. And, and you eat like, let's say you're coming from game X and there was 10 out of 25 uh, slots that you filled in like strength, intelligence, wisdom, but let's say game Y didn't have charisma, but you had charisma. So you come into game Y, game Y just doesn't read charisma. It just doesn't use that parameter. And then be able to adjust parameters coming in saying, okay, yeah, sure. You can bring in your character from another game, but guess what? There is a 50% penalty across the board. So if your strength is 10 and we have some kind of notion that, I, like, like I said, it's sort of like a, what do you call that? Uh, where everybody kind of is going, okay, a strength of 10 in general means these things. So I come in with a strength of 10 and game wise says, nope, you got a strength of five. And if you want to stay in the game, you can build it up from there. But no, I'm not going to let you come in with like this ultra power character, ultra powerful character and just come in and kill all my players because that wouldn't work either. Now the idea itself has major, major issues. However, you start attaching a cost to it. I have to shell out maybe some Satoshis. Well, now all of a sudden it gets a little bit more real. And there's there's something about this that I still think is important because eventually what's going to happen, I think, is people are going to just want one avatar that they poured into, whether it's a video game, social media, I, logging into their freaking Netflix account, just a singular identity that carries all the parameters, whether it's a Bitcoin wallet, how much strength you have from Ultima Online, whatever. It all comes along for the ride and is adjusted by the different places that you go, depending on what it is they'll allow you to do, what it is allowed you to carry with, uh, what types of things they allow you to carry with you as you come into their particular thing. See, so confusing, yes, I know, but still, I the the whole impetus of this is I just got tired of always having to build yet one more avatar yet one more time or yet one more game. And I'm like, God, really? Can I just bring in my paladin? I mean, come on, man. So on uh, continuing with the game the uh, theme here, we've got Bitcoinist.com. It looks like Emilio Janice is writing this sometime this morning game or, or rather call of duty launches Fortnite like game with virtual currency. So Let's see what these guys are doing because this is Activision. This is the game, the, the the publisher Activision, which was not mentioned in the in the previous story. So let's see what Activision thinks about this stuff. So yesterday they launched a free-to-play battle royale mode for its popular first-person shooter Call of Duty. Like many free free-to-play games, it will feature its own virtual currency for buying upgrades and generally creating revenue for the developer. Battle Royale games in which players fight to the death in a shrinking play area to be the last man standing. <laughs> Corona certainly seems to be the flavor uh, of the past few years. I think they meant flavor. Games such as Fortnite and Apex Legends have dominated streaming channels thanks to their large multiplayer battles and free-to-play nature. 
It was only a matter of time before more traditional publishers came on board, and with Call of Duty Warzone, Activision are driving into the market head first. One of the 100, up to 150 players in teams of three compete to stay alive in a landscape containing thousands of buildings and other elements. So where does the virtual currency come in? Developing a game costs money, so the majority of free-to-play games implement some form of virtual currency which can either be earned in-game or purchased for real money. In turn, this can be used to buy additional player skins, weapons, and upgrades. However, Call of Duty Warzone takes the integration to the next level woohoo! with its two modes, Battle Royale and Plunder. Oh, that got plundered, bro. Completing missions or tasks in-game earns you cash which can then be spent mid-game by buying stations, or sorry, at buy stations. In Battle Royale mode, the buy station can be used to buy kill streaks similar to those in regular COD games, along with upgrades and respawn tokens to res resurrect dead teammates. In plunder games, the mission is to collect as much loot as possible, which can be deposited for safekeeping at the buy station. Although, this will alert nearby enemies to your location. Getting killed will cause you to drop half of your cash, meaning that you go back and get it if nobody takes it in the meantime. Okay, well, that's kind of cool. Cryptocurrency and the gaming industry have long been considered a natural fit, although the best ways of exploiting this bond are only recently being realized. The United States Internal Revenue Service got so concerned about people using in-game tokens that it even demanded that they be disclosed for tax calculation although it has since gone back on that. However, criminals have found a way to use in-game tokens like Fortnite's V-Bucks to launder money, but then criminals would, wouldn't they? That's right. We've had criminals for a long time. That's why they do some of the things they do. I mean, I there's a couple of... You know, speaking of criminals, there's a couple of movies that I've watched about bank robberies do you know how much work it takes to go to do be a bank robber? This isn't a situation where, you know, if you just are an idiot and walk in with a freaking like pantyhose over your head and a sawed off shotgun into a bank, chances are good you will not be a successful bank robber. It, the successful bank robbers, oh my lord. I mean, even in the real world, when you dig into some of these things, what's what had to be done to pull some of this shit off? The question becomes, why didn't you just go get a real job? It's like, shit, you're smart. They could have made just as much money in a way if they had. So you have to ask yourself the question, why? If they are, if it, a lot of the criminals that are really good at their job could be good at any job. Why, why do you pick being a criminal? I've never, I don't think that question will ever be able to be answered, not to any satisfaction whatsoever. Still, I always ask myself that question. If these guys are so smart, why are they wasting their time and putting themselves in such danger of losing all their freedom and or getting killed or maimed for life when they can simply apply that energy and intelligence to a legitimate business? Like all the mafia, Italian mafia is those guys were really, really good at management. They're like managing kings, bro. But yet they chose a life of crime. I, you know, it's an, it's an interesting question. I don't think it'll ever be answered, but that's going to do it for the snooze you can use in morning roundup number one. Let's get into some vitals. Vital statistics brought to you by Panic. Let's panic, everybody, because, yeah, everything is down across the board. Uh, traditional markets look like this. S&P 500 is down 3.7%. NASDAQ is down 3.3%. Dow Jones Industrial is down 4%. The FTSE is down half a percent. The Nikkei Index is down 2.27%. The VIX, however, if you're long VIX, oh, bro, you got rich, hun, because last is 52.71%. Showing a change of 5.41, and that is an 11.5% change to the upside on the volatility index. Securities, the 30-year is at 1.22. That's 
That's the uh, United States Treasury 30-year bond. Uh, the 10-year bond is below one at 0.7. The five-year bond is 0.58. Two-year is 0.54. The three-month is 0.46. Oil is down 81 cents, representing a 2.36% change to the downside. Uh, natural gas is up, but other than that, that's pretty much a look at the traditional markets. Uh, by the way, for those wondering, that 3.7% down on the Dow Jones represents about a thousand point plunge. So it's erased most of what happened yesterday. Dead cap bounce. That's pretty much the only way that I can even describe it. Getting into actual money, Bitcoin, we have Bitcoin at a price of 7829 Looks like that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be in the middle. We've got a high over at Bit Asset at 7,890. And it looks like our low is going to be over at mm, Hit BTC at 7,798. So we've got a $100 uh, gap there. 310,000 transactions were made in the last 24 hours, representing 13,000 transactions per hour on average. 930 BTC were sent in that 24-hour period, and 34,000 BTC are being sent on average per hour. The average transaction value is 3 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.046, or about 363 bucks. Block time is high, 10 minutes and 55 seconds. 0.21 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and 26.5 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. Significant drop in hash rate of 7.15% brings us down to 101 exahashes per second. And the last time nobody did anything for Bitcoin was sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 195, Bcash at 261, BSV at 192, Litecoin at 47, 48 dollars. Uh, Ethereum Classic is at six and a half. Dogecoin chilling out at 0.0022. And again, Dogecoin is walking over both Litecoin and Bcash. What the hell's going on over there at Bcash? Somebody, does anybody know why their fake volume has actually collapsed and gone into a lower fake volume? Uh, because they're like Bcash is only registering 18,696 transactions in the last 24 hours. I mean, I hate BSV, but they're constantly above 500,000 transactions. All of it's fake. It is. And if you think it's not, I got bridges all over the United States, not crossing waters or, or other bodies, not crossing rivers or other bodies of water. But, you know, at least it's consistent. So what the hell happened to Bcash? If anybody can tell me, please let me know. Now, uh, let's get over to my node, and I am going to be upgrading my node uh, to the $99 version. Hopefully today, I've already uh, made the Bitcoin transaction, and by the time I get done with this show, it should already have been put into a block, and hopefully I'll get my notification and my keys for my premium upgrade to the MyNode BTC software. So I'm showing on my node, I'm showing a hash rate of 103 exahashes per second. So that's quite a bit lower. And we have a pretty packed mempool, 35 megabytes representing 23,641 unconfirmed transactions. But as far as I can tell, all the blocks are full all the way up to 99.8% for the last 10 blocks in a row. Lightning Network coming uh, coming at you from Clark Moody Bitcoin. That would be bitcoin.clarkmoody.com. Uh, let's see what we've got going on here for the Lightning Network. We've got 898.9 BTC is total capacity, representing $7 million in liquidity, liquidity in USD value, 6,544 nodes, 36,169 channels. The Tor capacity is... 363.8 BTC, which represents a solid 40.5% of the total capacity in the Lightning Network. The number of Tor nodes is, uh, has increased a little bit to 1,903, I think it's kind of, yeah, <clears throat> I think that's a, a small increase, but that's going to do it for Vital Statistics.
buckle up for Morning Roundup Part 2. Bithum partners with Chain Analysis amid tightening Korean regulations. Uh, Samuel Haig, writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. On March the 10th, <clears throat> major South Korean cryptocurrency exchange Bithum announced it has partnered with crypto forensics firm Chain Analysis following the passing of new Korean crypto regulations. Bithum will employ Chain Analysis reactor investigations tool to examine suspicious activity on its platform in a bid to comply with Korea's recently amended Special Financial Transfer Transactions Information Act. Certain provisions in the act will take 12 months to come into effect, with the new apparatus expected to be fully implemented after a further six months. <clears throat> As such, all South Korean crypto exchanges must operate with full compliance by September of 2021. Bithum's head of compliance... Sungmi Lee predicts lawyer, lawmakers to further strengthen the new legislative apparatus in the near future, stating, we anticipate further updates following last week's vote, making it even more important for us to have support available in our local language. On March the 5th, South Korea's National Assembly passed the revised bill in, in introducing a permit system for the nation's virtual asset service providers. Korean exchanges must now report their operations to the country's financial intelligence unit and are required to collect real name confirmed accounts from banks. Reporting failures can be penalized with up to five years in prison or $42,000 worth of fines. Exchanges must also have their system certified by the Korean Internet Security Agency due to the time and expense involved of attaining KISA certification. Only four VASPs have completed the process so far. Bithum, Upbit, CoinWan, and Corbit. Chainalysis Chief Revenue Officer. Oh my God. Chief Revenue Officer Jason Bond stated, as cryptocurrency use in South Korea continues to grow, new regulations such as this will make blockchain analysis solutions like Chainalysis vital for compliance. South Korea is one of many nations to recently amend their domestic cryptocurrency regulations to meet the reporting and compliance standards recently laid out by the G7's Financial Action Task Force. In the past month, the United Kingdom, Ukraine, Hong Kong, Dubai, Japan, South Korea, Singapore, and Switzerland have all updated their crypto guidelines in accordance with FATF's directives because they're all spineless. <laughs> I'm going to cut them a break. They'd all end up like cooling their heels in a really shitty hole in the ground if they didn't do it. I don't like it, but I, you know, I'm not going to tell them that they should just forego their family and freedom because of the cause, right? That's up to us. That's up to us to figure out ways around all this shit. So every single time a new regulation comes in, we should spend some of our brain power to figure out how to fuck them on it. No, seriously. That is that absolutely should be part of the mantra. How do I screw these people? Not each other. Be kind to each other. We are not each other's enemy. The enemy has an office and they wear suits and ties. And no, they're not CEOs of, of private companies. There are all of our governments. And they should be screwed with at will forever. Bitcoin supporters raises red flag over proposed U.S. law taking aim at cryptocurrency. And this will be a rabbit hole of cringe proportions. Okay? Not just because we're extending this whole regulatory bent to this part of the show. It, you'll figure it out. When, when the cringe comes, bro, you will know. This is Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel sometime yesterday. Alex Gladstein, chief strategy officer at Human Rights Foundation, is raising concern that the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020 is an attack on financial privacy. Says Gladstein, <clears throat> beware the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020. Citing a section of the draft bill, Gladstein, a Bitcoin supporter, argues any legislation that forces businesses to spy on de-anonymize or micro-monitor customers goes against the financial privacy that's needed to protect democratic freedoms. On Monday, Paul Gosar, a Republican from Arizona, introduced an updated version of the Cryptocurrency Act in 2020 that's designed to legitimize Bitcoin and digital assets by creating new definitions for three separate categories of crypto assets 
and assigning each category to a sole regulator. Three U.S. regulators, according to the bill, would regulate the entire industry. The CFTC, or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the Secretary of the Treasury via Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, also known as FinCEN, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, according to a report by Bloomberg. Two of the three regulators listed in the draft bill aren't designed to regulate currencies, the CFTC, which regulates derivatives trading and not the trading of commodities themselves, and FinCEN, which regulates financial institutions, not currencies or assets. (laughs) Writes legal analyst Robert Kim, quote, The draft bill's superficially neat categories of crypto assets and superficially neat division of regulatory authority over them create new problems regarding boundaries. However, making them likely to sow further confusion rather than establish clarity. Yeah, well, you guys are really good at doing shit like that. Gladstein calls the move regulatory overreach. Quote, if you buy any cryptocurrency at a regulated exchange, do you want the company to be giving up your information? Name bought X amount of Y and <clears throat> or withdrew on day Z to the government without a warrant, without any probable cause, end quote. Cryptocurrencies are fundamentally designed to be a form of censorship-resistant money that people can send and receive peer-to-peer without a central authority or middleman. They operate in a decentralized environment and aim to give people the same anonymity they achieve when making cash transactions. Government hates cash, bro. If you don't think government doesn't hate cash, again, bridges. I got a whole inventory. As long as Bitcoin exists, Gladstein believes people will be able to use it as a global safety net against authoritarian governments. Okay, where was the cringe? Well, the cringe wasn't in there. Well, a little bit of cringe, right? Because, you know, the fact that, you know, they're getting FinCEN and and the CFTC uh, to try to regulate shit that they have no business regulating, and even they themselves will tell you, uh, that's not our job. That's not... It would take an act of I think it would take an act of Congress to change the description of these regulatory agencies to be able to even do this. But there's not it's not necessary. You've got the SEC and, you know, there's the Department of the Treasury. But still, it shows this shotgun approach like just we've by God, we've got to regulate this at all costs. We'll throw everything at it. Now, how do you suppose This idiocy came about? Buckle up for the cringe. Daniel Kuhn, writing for Coindesk.com. The Cryptocurrency Act of 2020 is dead on arrival, Washington tells sponsors. An omnibus bill aimed at comprehensive reform of United States cryptocurrency regulation was introduced Monday by Representative Paul Gosar. Republican from Arizona. It is thought to have little chance of passage at present, but according to lawyers and backers in the industry, it does provide insight into what a top-to-bottom new law governing crypto could look like one day. Here it comes. Marshall Hayner of MetalPay and Eric Finman who became a millionaire from Bitcoin before the age of 18 and now runs an investment fraud, I mean fund, contributed to the discussion draft. Let's pause. Let's pause right there. Eric Finman. If you guys don't know who Eric Finman is, and that's E-R-I-K, Finman, F-I-N-M-A-N, of MetalPay. A laughing stock has been for a long time. His entire thing about getting rich on Bitcoin and then selling it all because metal pay is going to replace Bitcoin is yet one more in the sad ass tome of bullshit narratives that we've had to wade through. And now they ask this little punk ass son of a bitch to lend that creepy-ass mind of his to draft legislation. So apparently in the United States, this is how we pass laws. You get rich, and you can be as dumb as a lamppost, and you will be asked to shape legislation. Yes, sir. 
Welcome to the United States where laws are written by children who have nothing but their own interests in mind. If this story does not convince you of how this shit has been run for the last hundred years minimum, nothing ever will. They do not like you. They don't care about you. They feel the need maybe to do anything, something, and they reach the regulators and the people that think they should be regulating everything as their job reach to the bottom of the barrel for the anything, anything that they can scrape off of it to help them complete their job so they can what? Say that they did something. And what do they reach for? A punk-ass kid by the name of Eric Finman and a guy named Marshall Hainer of one of the shittiest scam coins on the face of the planet to regulate Bitcoin. Yeah, that, there's the cringe. Again, Eric Finman, if you don't know who he is, you need to go Google that name and you will understand just how depraved this entire thing is. Presented on March the 9th, the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020 sets out to define categories of digital assets and clarify which federal agency will oversee each tranche. The bill looks to provide not only clarity but legitimacy to crypto assets in the United States, said Will Schulte, Gosar's legislative assistant in a press phone call. Regulatory uncertainty hangs like a cloud over the industry as it aims to attract conventional investors. So, uh, sorry, my my page jumped on me a little bit fully. 56% of financial advisors cite regulatory concerns as reasons not to invest in the nascent industry. A recent Bitwise survey found regulatory uncertainty has certainly been a shackle around the ankle of U.S. investors. Matty Greenspan, founder of Quantum Economics and a former eToro analyst, said many projects are simply choosing to move elsewhere. While there are existing proposals aimed at providing clear guidance, such as the Token Taxonomy Act and Securities and Exchange Commission member Hester Pierce's Safe Harbor proposal, Gosar's bill is the latest to take a holistic approach to crypto regulation. Quote, it's difficult for a member to move a bill in committee of which he's not a member, doubly so if he's in the minority, Brito wrote in a blog post. The bill provides digital assets into three or uh, divides digital assets into three categories, crypto commodity, cryptocurrency, and crypto security. With the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and the Secretary of Treasury via FinCEN and the Securities Exchange Commission overseeing each respectively. Quote, while the bill makes sense on the surface, a deeper look reveals that it's neat category. We just read that part, right? So we can skip that. Debate over the bill's efficacy and overreach started in mid-December when a draft version leaked. Jerry Brito, executive director of Coin Center, directed criticism at the bill's sponsor, Representative Gosar, who does not sit on the committees that might discuss his bill. Quote, it's difficult for a member to move the blah, 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 the, the whole he's in the minority thing. Kristen Smith said... It's dead on arrival, Kristen Smith being of the Blockchain Association, and she said that after reviewing the latest version. Following its introduction on the floor late Monday afternoon, Ben Goldie, Gosar's representative, said the bill will now pass to a committee for review. Usually within the first week, it will get assigned, but I suspect Financial Services Committee will take it up, Goldie said. Finman suggested it may be reviewed first by the House Committee on Agriculture agriculture the house committee on agriculture that's what a child eric finman suggested that it may first be whether the bill passes or not its sweeping ambition is already redefining the scope of crypto regulation attempting to simplify the issues around cryptocurrency and its relationship to the larger economy the bill is an example of why it's so hard to define what crypto is and how it should be treated. Coindesk spoke with lawyers, investors, and the bill's writers about how the bill takes on crypto's big regulatory issues and likely goes too far. Gosar's bill defines crypto commodities as an economic good or service, including derivatives that have full or substantial fungibility, the markets treat with no regard as to who produced them, and rest on a blockchain or decentralized cryptographical ledger. 
This broadly defined concept would include Bitcoin, Ethereum, and any digital asset with free-floating valuations. The bill would also place these commodities under the purview of the CFTC. However, as Robert Kim, a Bloomberg legal analyst, noted, the CFTC does not regulate commodities themselves, but derivatives traded off of them. Quote, the CFTC indicated early on that virtual currencies such as Bitcoin are commodities under the Commodity Exchange Act. However, that does not mean they regulate the day-to-day activity of spot exchanges, said Donna Riddell, board member of the New York Angels and a professor at Fordham Law and Fordham Gabelli School. Do they have the capacity to review that? The regulators themselves would have to see what's feasible here, she continued. Similarly, FinCEN was selected to oversee cryptocurrencies, despite not actually regulating currency. Marshall Hayner of MetalPay thinks that's a pedantic statement. Oh, Marshall, please imbibe, allow us to imbibe on your brilliance. Quote, when you launch a crypto product and deal with stable coins, you're dealing with FinCEN, he said in a phone call. Anti-money laundering requirements are top of mind and for any firm that wants to remain compliant. Oh, God. Lawson Baker, head of operations and general counsel at Tokensoft, a technology company automating finance by porting financial assets onto blockchains, noted that the definition given to crypto securities by the bill does not capture real-world use cases of blockchain technology. The proposed definition, all debt and equity, that rests on a blockchain or decentralized cryptographic ledger makes sense in some contexts, Baker said, but in reference to traditional assets, misses the mark. For example, there's mortgage debt that could be issued on a blockchain. Under the bill's rules, a tokenized mortgage would be a crypto security requiring registration with the SEC. Absence or absent an offering exemption, Baker said. As we all know, mortgages are already regulated by state and federal banking laws and not the SEC. Likewise, Riddell pointed out that even broad definitions may not allow projects room to breathe. She pointed instead to Hester Pierce's proposal for a safe harbor for token projects, which grants three years exemption for projects to decentralize. Quote, the digital asset industry is constantly evolving, Riddell said. Any effort of legislation has to take into account future innovation in the space and what else happens in the coming years. It's not good to bet on a horse race if you don't know the players. Under the Act, a decentralized cryptographic ledger refers to a ledger that A, runs on a standalone blockchain that is secured through a minting mechanism. (laughs) Jesus. As Baker notes, This definition presumes all cryptocurrencies will operate on blockchains and public ledgers, completely ignoring how privacy coins like Zcash will operate in the future. Matty Greenspan takes a realistic view. While clearer frameworks may bring in entrepreneurs, investors, and traditional financiers, traditional or standing on the sidelines of crypto, decisions to invest are also impacted by the larger mechanizations of the economy. Quote, sentiment is way down due to the effects of Corona. (laughs) We're all going to die. And most people aren't exactly in an investing mood lately. Yeah, (laughs) survival, survival from fear and panic. And God knows, get that toilet paper before they stop making it. Likewise, Nick Carter, a VC with Castle Island Ventures, said crypto is an asset class that's really an outlet for gambling. God, Nick, Jesus, hey, Nick, an asset class that's really just an outlet for gambling. That's not all it is. I will agree with Nick that that is 99.999% of the use case for all of this shit is just one giant shitcoin casino. That's why I only care about Bitcoin. It's the only one that has a use case outside of that kind of garbage, even though It can also be used for that kind of garbage. But continuing, Carter adds that clear guidance for tax liabilities are also necessary, which the bill fails to address. Yeah, because it was freaking drafted by a toddler. What good is an omnibus bill if it cannot pass? What about more focused approaches for that matter? The Token Taxonomy Act was successfully introduced, but was ultimately stalled during the review period. 
While small child Eric Fidman is confident that his bill, his bill will pass, quote, I'm not even considering failure as an option, end quote, he said, a similar situation is likely to transpire here. Quote, the optimum way to regulate the industry would be for the agencies to come up with a robust set of rules, Donna Riddell said. This is preferable than the slower processes of adjudicating and then waiting for the agencies to catch up. But the courts will hopefully always be there to provide guidance. Oh, God forbid we can't do anything without guidance. With the process, While the, this process is slow and companies may lose time and competition, Riddell is skeptical that any prescriptive law could cover all the facets of the industry. Josh Lawler, a partner at Zuber Lawler, agreed, quote, Looking at various statutory schemes, most don't work. The Swiss system doesn't work, really. Some are better than others, but it's not that easy to get a comprehensive plan, end quote. Continuing, my gut says we should stay nimble right now and define later. Red, push regulators to provide rules, updates, or additional guidance under current definitions rather than unintentionally redefine the scope of an agency's regulatory jurisdiction, jurisdiction Lawson Baker said, and that's going to do it for that rather long one. So while this is going to be the end of uh, the morning roundup in toto, it should be noted, we cannot forget, this bill, it is a bill in the United States that's being looked at seriously by Congress. Hopefully they will throw it in, in file 13, otherwise known as garbage. But it's being written by a child that has stated that he hates Bitcoin. Metal pay apparently is the way forward. Nobody even talks about this shit. How did the child get into a position where the child could even talk to the guys in Congress and be taken seriously? How? That question should linger on everybody's mind. That's going to do it for this news you can do. Daily Trainwreck is brought to you by a guy named Mateo Leibowitz with an op-ed in the block. Money 2.0 stuff. With no rally in sight, Bitcoin must consider loose monetary policy. Yeah, if you're expecting the sound effect right there, you're going to have to wait a little bit. Because the quick take, two bullet points here. Uh, one is Canaan execs collectively misread data and analysts urge Bitcoin monetary policy governors to consider bailing out miners. Oh man, it's probably because the smoldering bodies across the track are giving off that smell. I'm sorry, but dude, who are these analysts? And why do they want to talk to the Bitcoin monetary policy governors? They're busy taking shots in my kitchen. That's where the Bitcoin monetary policy governors are. Because there are no Bitcoin monetary policy governors. That's the whole point. You, oh, I, I can feel the blood pressure. Okay, so now we got, so we have no rally in sight, so we've got to loosen up the monetary policy. Somebody please get the Bitcoin monetary policy governors on the line because the analysts want to talk to them. Guys, this is a smoldering pile. Uh, I don't know why the block crypto is doing stuff like this. But it's misfeasance at best. And in, in actually, in my opinion, it's actually flat malfeasance. I had said in a tweet that it was misfeasance, but it's not. That actually excuses or, or calls into, or it allows the question of, well, maybe they didn't know what they were doing and they were just 
freaking negligent as hell because they're not all that smart about this. No, I've changed my position. This isn't misfeasance. This is malfeasance. This is a concerted effort, a concerted effort to try to harm Bitcoin. Will it work? No, of course not. Because all the good Bitcoiners will call this shit out. And this shit was being called out from top to bottom all day yesterday. All day yesterday. Mateo got an earful on this one. And so did Mike Dudas and probably uh, several other, other of the writers over there at the block. But Mike Dudas represented this very, very poorly. Uh, and I'm, I won't even I won't even get into that part because this is enough of a train wreck for today. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile right over there. Dad says jokes wants you to know that he hates telling people he's a taxidermist. When they ask what he does every day, he says, you know, stuff. <laughs> I, if you're a hunter, you know what that means. If not, yeah, well, okay. So uh, there's not a chicken update today. Uh, it'll take, let's see, coming up this this Friday will be a week since we've gotten uh, the little chicky poos. Uh, so really, I kind of won't know how much they've eaten until I kind of like, you know, wait, I'm going to, what I'm going to do on figuring out, um, figuring out how much these guys eat, because that's going to be something that, that you may want to know. Um, I've got to let them go through an entire bag of this stuff and see it at what point they do that, because I'm just going to depend on the weight that is, uh, in the bag to figure out. And, oh my God, we've got longs being liquidated people. It is 10.37 a.m. Central Standard, or actually, no, not Central Standard Time. I keep forgetting it's Central Daylight Time now. So uh, I've got BX wrecked uh, messages coming across my Twitter feed that we've got everything is being liquidated. Uh, probably means the tradition, because we're still locked into the traditional markets right now. I'm not exactly sure how that happened, but it's happened. Um because we should be fairly uncorrelated, but right now we are not. And I, I don't know. I think correlation and I think what is correlated and uncorrelated depends on the amount of, you know, that separation I think only works when there is a fear quotient that is below the, it's hard, it's hard to describe. It's like, yeah, Things are uncorrelated until people get too scared and then they sell everything, right? But it's uncorrelated if that level of fear is below some threshold. And I think that's like you could say gold is uncorrelated to, you know, financial or, let you know, uh, legacy uh, paper markets below a certain fear level. But right now, man, everybody's panicking. Apparently, we're all going to run out of toilet paper and everybody's going to die. It's all bullshit because that is not the way this is going to roll out. But because people just refuse to exercise common sense when it comes to coronavirus, the whole thing is melting down, right? Does it really bother me? No, it doesn't really bother me. We've got cheap sats incoming. I am totally fine with that. I'm completely fine with that. So stack them, stack them if you may bro. Stack him if you may. That's going to do it for me. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.